I wanted to um, begin this sermon and really end this series with that video, that story, because I think it illustrates um, it better than the, any other way I could illustrate really was at the heart of our mission as a church, uh, inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Dan uh, was baptized last Sunday, as you saw briefly on that video, and um, lives, uh, you know, in, uh, in Penfield and came to this church, came to faith in Christ because I believe, I understand the story, was invited by uh, his neighbor who was also uh, a member of this church. And we, here we conclude the book of Nehemiah. I've been doing this, as, as Jason mentioned, uh, for eight weeks. The book of Nehemiah essentially is about this leader being called by God to help the people of God put God and his purposes back at the center of their life. That's what the whole thing was about. The wall was simply a means to an end. When Nehemiah gets this call in the beginning, it says what? That the people of God were under great disgrace and in great trouble. And the walls were a means to an end to restore their sense of mission, restore their sense of purpose, to put God, God, their relationship with God, and his mission back at the center. And for us, it's really what you see in that video. We have been called as a church, a local church in this community, to do one thing and one thing primarily, and that is to deepen our commitment to Jesus Christ, to walk with God, and to share that message, as Jason said, with the 80% of the people all around us in our neighborhoods, in our schools, uh, in our offices, in our high schools who do not know Christ as their Savior. Now, we're here in Nehemiah 13. Have a copy of the Bible, open it up, turn it on. But let me say something as we conclude this series, as we conclude this um, uh, message and, and this, this, this message series in the book of Nehemiah, it does not end on a positive note, right? I mean, the book of Nehemiah, if we really wanted to end on a positive note, as Jason mentioned a few minutes ago, you'd have stopped last week. After, after building the wall and then reforming and committing to the covenant between chapter 6 where, they, where the wall is finished and chapter 12 where they have this amazing celebration, there's a few chapters, right? Chapters 8, 9, and 10 where they recommit their hearts, right? What it's really all about to the covenant. They renew their commitment to God. They renew their commitment to the things of God, to the purposes of God. And as they stood on that wall and as they had that amazing musical celebration, it says, the joy could be heard from far away from Jerusalem. And in that moment, God gave them great joy. It says the men and the women and the children had great joy because not only was the wall completed, but their hearts had been recommitted to God in, the, in their purpose, which was that the message of God, the purposes of God would be shared with the many communities around them, was reestablished. And it would be a great... I mean, if... if, if uh, if, if, the, uh, if the book of Nehemiah was a Hollywood movie, right, Let's, that is to say, had a happy ending, you'd have ended in chapter 12, period, paragraph, it's all done. But that's not where uh, the story ends. It ends in chapter 13, where all those great commitments of chapter 10... Uh, their commitment to have integrity in their family relationships, their commitment to once again honor the Sabbath, their commitment um, to support the house of God, all of those commitments have been broken. And it's sort of like 
you know, instead of a Hollywood movie, it's sort of like an independent film, right? Instead of the, 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 the people going off into the sunset and they're happy, it's like you get to the end and they, and they break up and they have a fight and the credits roll, right? I mean, that's kind of what uh, the book of Nehemiah is. But in chapter 13, it's really the application of the entire series because what the book of Nehemiah is saying as it concludes it is this. Living the Christian life, right, over the course of time, doing big things for God in the life of a church is not an easy task, right? It's not simple. It's not, it's, not, it's not a party. It's not the wedding. It's the marriage is what we're really talking about. It's not about cutting a ribbon. It's not simply about making vows. It's, it's where the real work settles in, where you and I look at the commitments that you've made, look at the commitments we've made to Christ and say, what is it going to take for us to live these out in the context of our marriage, in the context of our relationships, in the context of the community, in the context of a world? where 80% of the people, for instance, don't know the message of the gospel. The reason I would say to you is this is part of the, the, the point of the book of Nehemiah, that we are often, you know, we often are un- underachieve, let's say, in our walk with Christ, or we often underachieve sometimes is a ministry, the ministry of the church. It's not because God is not 100% behind us. It's because we're not 100% Uh, behind him that's really what the book of nehemiah says the church of the future is about realizing a kind of faith and a kind of faithfulness as individuals and as a church where what we're seeing right the kind of experience you just saw in that video dan's story that kind of experience is a regular occurrence in our student ministry in our kids ministry and with adults Well, when Nehemiah comes back, back if you have a copy of the Bible, let's dive in and do this. When he comes back, he's gone. He has this amazing celebration. He's been there for 12 years. He's been the governor. They've built the wall and he stayed after the wall. It was a great experience. It was a high note. But then Nehemiah goes back, right? He goes back to his original job. He wasn't, this was an assignment, right? And he went back a a thousand miles in the other direction, back to Persia, back to the job that he had. And then after a period of time, it's undisclosed, he comes back. My guess is, I've read commentaries, and me is kind of getting to the end of his his career. He's kind of getting to the end of his his life. And the the king says, listen, I want you to go back. You spent a chunk of your time doing this work in Jerusalem. Go back and see how it is. Finish well. And he goes back there. After a season, we don't know how long, but if you, if you pay attention to the details, it's been a few years anyway. But when he goes back there, right, it's, it's the independent film ending, right? It's not what he thought it was going to be. And the commitments that these... In, there were three core commitments. We looked at them in a, in a sermon a few weeks ago. What did it... What were the core commitments? There was a commitment to the integrity of the family, to, 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 to making sure that, that the Jewish people had, had spiritual loyalty in their marriages, spiritual loyalty in the raising of their kids so that the faith would continue. And they called people back to that kind of loyalty. That was one of the Sabbath. 
They had a call to come back to the Sabbath because of the purpose of the Sabbath. After, after 400 years in slavery, after 400 years of the rat race, of thinking that, you know, what life means is the, the value of life, the meaning of life is all about work and it's all about, you know, uh, you know it's a quid pro quo. You are only as valuable as the, as the work that you do, right? And they were brick mayors. They were slaves for 400 years. And God says, no. I want the world to know that you are my children, you are my people, and I'm the true source of your needs. And I instituted the Sabbath so that one day a week, as an illustration to the community around you, you would say, listen, I serve a God who meets my needs, the deepest needs of my heart, and I don't have to be a slave to the world system, right? That's what the purpose of the Sabbath was. And they had called them back to the Sabbath. They had broken it. And then ultimately also, they had uh, failed to support the house of God, right? They were so busy at meeting their own needs, they didn't have time to slow down, not only on the Sabbath, but they were no longer supporting uh, the temple uh, uh, ministry. And all three of those things were the commitments, the primary commitments that were celebrated as the wall was built. Their hearts returned to God, their hearts returned to worship, their hearts returned to each other and faithfulness in their families. And, but when Nehemiah comes back, all three of these commitments um, had fallen off. Let's enter the story, chapter 13, verse 10. Now we'll just read some selected verses for time. Ready? 10 through 13, 15, 17, 19, 23 through 25, 30, and 31. Just follow along as I read. Kind of Nehemiah, I'm sort of entering in the middle of the story. I also learned, he had just come back. That's some of what you missed that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that the Levites and the musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their fields. The ministers, not only the speakers, but also the musicians, they're no longer coming anymore. They weren't being paid. They weren't, their needs weren't being met, so they, they just they didn't, they didn't come to serve in the temple anymore. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? What's happened? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts, that is the Levites. All Judah brought the tithes and grain, new wine and olive oil in the storerooms. They re he reinstituted it. I put Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zakur, son of Madaniah, their assistant. Watch this. Because they were considered trustworthy, he had to put new leaders in place. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Two, verse 15, second issue. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine and grapes and figs and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. It, it, it was like, a, it was like a, a public market, right? Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. Verse 17, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Verse 19, when evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem, before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not open till the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought on the Sabbath day. Verse 23, moreover, in those days, right, issue number three, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, 
Half of the children spoke the language of Ashdod and the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Now that's important. And they say these kids not only didn't know how to speak Hebrew, but what that meant in this culture was they didn't know anything about the God of the Bible. Their faith went out the window. Okay, that's what he's really saying. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. Watch this. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. Aren't you glad that guy's not your pastor, okay? <laughs> I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Verse 30. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood and designated times. He reinstituted worship and the support of it. And for the first fruits, remember me with favor, my God. Okay? Remember me with favor, my God. The message at the heart of this rebuke, loving rebuke, is this. Your personal holiness is central to your witness, right? We want to be the church of the future? Absolutely, as Jason said a few minutes ago. We want to have excellent services. We want to have excellent children's programs. We want to have integrity. We want to do, we, we want to do things right as best as we can. And we want to do everything we can to present the message of the gospel, the grace message of the gospel, in a, in a, in a clear way to people. But guys, ultimately, right, ultimately, the long haul, right, it's not about, it's not a, uh, uh, you know, it's not about a ribbon cutting. It's about, it's about the, the long, uh, hard work of being a Christian, the long, hard work of doing things big for God is really about what happens in the integrity of our lives. Our lives are the message. It's, your, it's the way in which you live. Why were marriages so important? It's a little different in our culture and theirs. There's a little bit of application that needs to be made, right? The, the, when he talks about the, the, the kids um, of this generation, they were married other uh, 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 races, the Ashdods and the, and the Ammonites and Nehemiah comes back and he can't speak to these kids and therefore they know nothing about the God of Israel. Now in your case, in our case, we are not called to you know, uh, uh, racial exclusivity, right? We can marry people of other races. We can marry people of other backgrounds. That's not the issue. But spiritual loyalty is. It's the integrity and the quality of your faith. And if your faith See, what happened was these guys were getting married. It's believed, if you read some of the, the background, that they were actually marrying women from other cultures, not because the Jewish women weren't, weren't uh, good women and, 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 and talented and, and, and pretty or whatever. It wasn't, that wasn't the reason. They were marrying them because of commercial interests. Because as, the, as this small community here back in Jerusalem, 40,000 strong, they were doing it to expand their commercial interests. But let me tell you something. In the process of doing that, they were selling their children down the river when it came to their relationship with God. That's what Nehemiah is saying, right? Your kids don't, how, they can't even know God. And so what, what's the translation for you and me, right? We're not called to racial exclusivity. We are called to integrity in our relationships. Our relationships, right? Husbands and wives, parents and children, the community of faith, small groups, the, the Christian, uh, the body of Christ, this is the primary way in which the 80% of those people know that there's anything different about the God of, uh, of, of the Bible, right? 
is because of the way they see it in your life. That was what was at stake here, and it still is what's at stake in our life. It's really about making... Nehemiah is a, is a character. Not everyone would want him as your pastor. But these kinds of commitments were central to the purposes of God. If our lives are not reflecting the quality of a, of, of a, a growing relationship with God, what's the point, right? What's the point? In the Sabbath as well, right? It's not only that these relationships were compromised, but the whole thing about the Sabbath, verse 15, it's all about, you know, commercial interests, right? They had, they had been marrying these other women, and now they're, it's all about money. And what it really is, is, you know, we talk about materialism. Materialism is not a new concept, what do, it's just a new word. And what the word materialism means mostly to us is, you know, that, you know, that stuff is what makes us happy and the more that you have and, and you know, but what money and what money can buy, the real issue behind materialism is what it represents. If it represents security in your life, right? And it did here, it was, it was the religion, it's nothing new under the sun, of the world outside of the people of God. That was the point of the Sabbath, People found their value, people found their security in a manner of speaking. It became a God. Does it sound very familiar to our own day? Look what he says, verse 15. I couldn't believe it, I came back. And even on the Sabbath, you had six other days of the week, but you're bringing in grain, you're loading it on donkeys with wine and grapes and figs and all other kinds of loads. Listen, he's not talking about you know, building cars and airplanes because they didn't have them in that day. But it's basically, this is commerce. And commerce had come into even the Sabbath because the religion of the world around the people of God, okay, was commercialism. And the same is true for, for you and me today. You know, Jesus said this. You could finish this sentence. Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Now, what does he mean by that? That's a very important question. What he's saying is this. A relationship with God, religion, was not meant to tame man. That's what they thought. You know, the, the, the Sabbath is just a day for us to not have any fun and not be able to make any money and to sort of give God his pound of flesh. They completely had it wrong. The Sabbath was not uh, uh, made for man to do something. Uh, uh, man was... Uh, I'm sorry, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It was meant to release men and release women from the, from the rat race, to release them from living their lives completely and totally as slaves to the things of the world, to the commercialism of the world, so that they could really be freed up to truly experience life as it was meant to be lived. That's what it was about. And in, and in this case, this, the whole culture had been given itself over um, to this. The, the, the peace and the rest, right, that the Sabbath gives us, this is primarily our witness. It's so that people can look at you and look at me. Um, whatever's going on in our life, whether, whether our circumstances are good or our circumstances are not good, people can look at your life and they can see beyond your paycheck, beyond your, you know, your, uh, your, 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 um, you know, your, 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 your paycheck or your, or, or the, or the quality of the, of the material possessions that you have, even your circumstances. There's something deeper and at the root of the, uh, the place of, of, of anxiety and fear in our lives, all ultimately, which is really what drives so much of people's behaviors, right? That at that place, you have something 
deeper, right, than a material possession. You have the peace of God that passes understanding. I talked to someone um, just yesterday, a woman, you know, I'd say she's younger than me, and she just lost her sister, okay? So a young person uh, passed away. And she was on her way when I talked to her just to, to go uh, visit the, her sister's wife and family. And just uh, a year ago, she uh, lost one of her parents. And yes, she was challenged. And yes, she was, you know, teared up a little bit. But you know what? There was joy because her sister, like her, her sister's the one that led her to Christ. And there was a quality to, her, to the conversation, a quality of what was going on in her life that nothing else could bring, right? This is what our witness is. And this is what Nehemiah is calling them back to. And guys, listen, your personal holiness is central to your witness. If we really want to reach people, it's not going to be because we're clever. It's not going to be because we have the right, we're on the right side of the argument. It's because the quality of our lives, right, are reflective of the life of Jesus, right? And they were, the three issues are here. One was relationships. You might even say sex, right? They were going after women uh, uh, that were of Ashdod and Ammon. One's relationships. Two is the Sabbath, which had to do with, with, with money and what money can buy. And both of them ultimately displaced, became a displacement for their relationship with God. Right? In fact, what Nehemiah opens with is the fact that they had completely stopped supporting the temple completely altogether. They, they, they had taken, I didn't read the first 10 verses, but the houses where they had kept all the tithes and offering, which in those days weren't currency, they were actually uh, a, a produce, they had completely stopped, they had given those uh, uh, um, rooms over to some other commercial purposes, and that's why the Levites were not coming in anymore, right? Their anxiety over money and what money can buy had completely displaced their need for God and as a result, their worship. Um, they neglected the house of God. They, they, they completely uh, walked away from God altogether. And Nehemiah is calling them back, right? Nehemiah is calling them back. Jesus, you know, it's funny when you read the, sometimes we think the Old Testament, we read passages like this and think, God, I'm so glad I didn't live in the Old Testament, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, but actually, the standards in the New Testament are higher, Right? You ever read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest sermon? And he says, listen, you know, uh, the Bible, the Old Testament says, you, you know, thou shalt not murder. But Jesus says, listen, let me tell you the real meaning of the sixth commandment. If you have hate in your heart for another person, you've broken the sixth commandment. And the seventh commandment is you shall not commit adultery. And he's saying, listen, you want to know what the real meaning of the seventh commandment is? If you have lust in your heart for someone who's not your spouse, you have broken the seventh commandment, Right? You might say, well, why is Jesus just trying to make it even harder to enter the kingdom of God? No. Salvation is by grace through faith, right? This is what's so beautiful about the gospel. There's a righteousness that's not something that you earn, something that you pay for, something that you, you can achieve through any kind of religious conformity. It's through receiving. That's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is not about what God wants from you. It's what God wants to give you. But ultimately, Jesus raises the bar because unless there's a difference in your life, there's a difference in my life, right? We have nothing to show a dark world, right? Holiness, your personal holiness is central to your witness. It's central to mine. Second and last point here. Your commitment to God 
work and the church needs to be a priority, right? This is where he, he, of the three things he mentions, this is the one he starts with in verse 10. He spends the most time on it, right? That they had failed to, 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 to support the, the, the work of God. But let me say something about this. You know, people say to me often, you know, they say this to pastors often, you know, you talk too much about money, right? But the truth is, if I'm honest, when it comes to discipleship, I don't talk about money. We don't talk about money enough. Because here's what the Bible says. God doesn't, giving is not what God, giving is what God wants for you, not from you. The thing that's keeping many of us from having the quality of a relationship with God that's, that, that's infectious, that says, listen, whether I just you know, lost my sister, whether I've just lost my job, whether I've just had a health reversal, you can look at me, neighbor, you can look at me, friend, and say, listen, there's some kind of quality that I can't put my finger on, a kind of peace and kind of joy. The reason many of us don't have that rest, right? And that really what shows forth is our anxieties and our fears, and we're really no different than anybody else, the people that don't know Christ, is because money and what money can buy for many of us is a religion, and it's not a new problem. Nehemiah didn't care about money, either does God, but God cares about you and me being liberated from being slaves to the things of this world. And many of us, for many of us, that has to do with our money, right? That's what Nehemiah is talking about. It's ultimately about. We, we, um, we mentioned this last week. We've spent um, a couple million dollars next door in the school building. We want to spend more here. The REACH initiatives, it's going to take multi-million dollars uh, over the course of years to, to renovate this church. And listen, we have to raise our budgets over the course of years in this church, right? It's going to take real money to do that. Um, and many of you um, have, have demonstrated a faithfulness. But you know what? Many of the rest of us need to get involved in, in, in this. We need to realize that giving is what God has for you. It's what he wants for you, not from you. And until we can have a right attitude about money and understand uh, that it's often standing in the way for many of us experience God's peace for our lives, we're never going to achieve what it is that we want to achieve. Look what Nehemiah does, and I want, I want to do something unique in the service. He He's, he's, he's no nonsense. He rebukes the, 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 those who had not been managing the house of God well. I rebuke the officials and the elders. And he says, then I'm going to take some other people. And I'm going to put other trustworthy people, verse 13. And he mentions them by name. And I'm going to give them the responsibility not only to collect the offerings, but to distribute them responsibly, right? And um, I want to say this. I want to take a minute in our service here this morning and pray uh, for our elders. And let me say this to you. I uh, have the privilege of serving with an elder board, and we don't often parade them out here. Some of you don't even know who they are. But they are individuals who serve faithfully 
every uh, week in and week out, month in and month out, praying for the direction of this church, praying and surrounding me and our staff, doing everything they can to make sure that there's a level of integrity and a level of um, um, uh, honesty in all that we do uh, in in the life of this church. And over the last couple years, our elders have not only been spending a lot of time focusing on the business of the day, but really looking into the ministry of the future, what we've called the REACH initiative. And we just elected a new board, and I would like to take a minute in the middle of a service this morning to pray for them. And I'm gonna ask them to stand wherever you are. I don't know if they're all in the service here this morning, but if you're an elder, uh, if you would stand uh, wherever you are. And I wanna ask you to do this. I'm just gonna take a minute to pray for them as a way to commission this board, and they're not all here, although their names might be up there. And I'm going to ask those of you who are standing right around them, if you would just perhaps uh, 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 extend your hand toward them as I pray for these elders, as we think about their role, their responsibility, their, their commitment to leading this church forward. And then I'm going to ask one of our elders, uh, Sherwin Damdar, standing in front of me, to finish, follow after me, and to pray uh, for the life of our church at this time. So let us pray. Please extend hands out towards these leaders that are surrounding you, and let us pray. Our God and Father, I bring before you this morning these leaders that you've called forth to be shepherds and overseers in this congregation. I pray you would grant them wisdom and understanding that they might know and execute your will for our church in the year ahead. Grant them favor with this congregation and bless our efforts to see your greater vision realized for the life of this church. Protect their homes and give them fearless hearts in the good work you have called them to do. We are told to ask for your Holy Spirit and we do that on their behalf this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Father, awaken our hearts. Open our eyes to what you've commissioned us to do as a church here in Rochester, in America, and in the world. Lord, we come to you hungry to do your work, not to do our work. Not to build a building for our own glory, Lord, but to do your work for your glory. And we thank you, Lord, for all the resources that you've given us as a church, all the people that you've given us as a church, all the time that we have, all the opportunities that we have. And Lord, we pray as we walk into this new season, this new era, that you would maximize and you would multiply every offering that we give to you as a church, and you would use them for your good to affect change, life-saving change in the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lastly, my question, really to end this whole series and this time this morning is, where specifically is God calling you to greater faithfulness today? So what I just want you to think about as you walk out of here today, if you've done this series of studies, because this is really what it's all about, right? Where is God calling you to faithfulness? We'll never be able to achieve big things, personally, but even in the life of the church, right? Unless we're willing to do the hard work of faithfulness to keeping our commitments and living our faith out before the 80% that are around us. What do we need to do? What is it? A couple things I just want to mention quickly. Number one, most importantly, 
It's the witness of our daily lives, right? If our lives are, if we don't think and talk and act any differently than the people around us, think about it. Think hard about your own lives, where you live, where you go to school. If we don't act any differently, then there's nothing that we would have would be of any interest to anybody else, right? Number one. Your personal holiness is central to your witness and mine as well. Second, we're going to take an offering. Jason mentioned this, right? And I want to challenge people, right? Uh, Again, those of you who are are faithful giving members to this church, I just want to say thank you. Those of you who are faithful members to the REACH initiative, we couldn't do it without you. We could not have spent the money that we've spent. We could not do what we want to do without your faithfulness. And um, I just want to say thank you for what you, you do. You're making this ministry possible. But for others of you, right, I want to encourage you to get involved in not neglecting the house of God, in supporting this ministry. And you can even do that today. Uh, as we mentioned, we're going to take a special offering within our offering. But lastly... How, you know, can you express your faithfulness? What, what greater faithfulness is God calling you to? It's really all about this video that we started with, right? One thing I know about every person in here, every one of you lives somewhere in this community, right? You go to school, you work, you're a student, you have a job. And Dan, who is in this video, who I've met, spent some time with him this summer, uh, very recently, he was a guy in this community who had a lot of anger, a lot of pain, right, in his life. And he lived a stone's throw, um, actually next door to someone who was a member of this church. And he's here today, has come to know Christ as his Savior. His, his life's not perfect, but truly, there's been a change in his life. Uh, a, 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 at the core of where he is, a true healing uh, and, and forgiveness of sin that has changed his life because his neighbor um, made an effort to reach out to him. Guys, this is what it's all about. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You just need to have an honest, caring heart to be willing to share your faith and to open up to the needs of the people around you. And there's a couple opportunities. Every one of us, if we care, if if we want to, can find someone to invite to one of these events, right? Make, it, make, it, make, 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 make December 10th an opportunity. Make the Christmas season an opportunity to invite somebody uh, into the life of this church. So uh, we're gonna have uh, the band come out and we're gonna take an offering, but let me pray for the offering now and as we close our service today. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Lord, as we, as we gather as a congregation, as we conclude this service, include this series, Lord, I just pray that you would challenge every heart here. Lord, help us to remember uh, that everything begins with your amazing love, that you sent your son into the world to um, die for us while we were yet sinners, Lord. That is to say, while we were yet uninterested, yet yet, um, uh, thumbed our nose even at you, you gave everything for us. And Lord, as we come to appreciate more fully your love, come to appreciate more fully what you have done and are doing in our lives, Lord, release us from the things that hold us back. Release us from the, um, 
the ways in which, Lord, we are um, uh, not fully committed to knowing you and serving you. And I just pray, God, Lord, that you would do something um, immeasurably more than we asked or imagined uh, in the life of this church. I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, as we just um, listen to this song, as we, as we sing, as we are pointed to you, Lord, may we be um, inspired um, to live a different kind of life. Help us, Lord, to live out of gratitude for what you have done for us and help us to move toward people in our community, all around us, um, who are hungry to know the forgiveness of Jesus and don't know that. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.